ask you here for just a moment, if you would, or a few moments here, take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. We're actually going to compare kind of two, two examples for us in the book of Acts. One's in the first chapter, chapter 1, and then the other is in chapter number 6. And what, what I really want to look at with you this evening for just a few moments uh, before we kind of get into our, uh, our business of the evening is a couple examples that we have uh, in the New Testament about church business meetings and kind of what, uh, what the example is that's set. You know, uh, most of us have probably been involved in different places in the world uh, whether it be in the workplace or some other organization that you're involved in, in meetings where business is being conducted and things of that nature. But uh, our job in what we're trying to do and making decisions for the church is not to just follow the pattern of the world in the way that the world makes decisions, but to follow the pattern of the Bible. And this is the example that God has given us, so I just felt that it would be important tonight to kind of look at a couple of these examples and learn some things from it. I know uh, that this is not foreign to any of us here, at least I don't believe that it is, uh, but sometimes it's good to be reminded of things and just to look into the Word of God and let Him speak to us. So if you're in Acts chapter 1, would you stand with me as we uh, read beginning in verse number 12 of Acts chapter 1. The Bible says here, Then returned they unto Jerusalem. This is the apostles right after Jesus has ascended into heaven. It says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John. And Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120, men and brethren... This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a keldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, Unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take, may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. 
And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Then look with me at the next verse there in chapter 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So we'll stop reading there, but if you go over just a few pages to chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. Acts 6 and verse 1, it says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into your word here tonight, that you would just give us understanding uh, of your desire, your plan uh, for us as a church body. Uh, Lord, we recognize that the Lord Jesus is our head, and this is not our church. This is his church, and we want to simply operate and function under his leadership and control. And so uh, as we kind of set the, the tone and the pace tonight for uh, even for the meeting through your word, I just pray that you would guide and direct us, give us understanding of your will, and may your spirit have preeminence in all things. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We read these uh, Two passages of scripture, again, as I mentioned, because these are a couple examples. They may not be the only examples ex exactly of uh, business meetings that took place in a church setting uh, in the New Testament, but they are two very important examples uh, as we consider how church business is to be conducted. It, it is possible, again, depending on your background and experience, I know you've been around here, most of you, for a good while and kind of know. Uh, how we function and how we operate, but you also probably know that not every church necessarily follows a biblical pattern in the way that decisions are made. And uh, there are a lot of churches where everything that is kind of uh, led by or decided uh, upon on a, uh, a board level or uh, uh, or some kind of committees that have been appointed. Uh, sometimes we see, even in other denominations, you'll see this kind of uh, hierarchy where major decisions are made for the entire denomination uh, at some headquarters somewhere and then passed on to churches. And, and I think we all understand that God's plan and God's purpose is always uh, for churches to operate autonomously or independently of other organizations. Uh, we are to... Uh, make decisions on a local level. That's what we do within uh, each individual church, answers to the Lord uh, individually. And so decisions are made on what we would call a congregational level. Now, 
that does not necessarily mean that every decision that is made is made by the entire congregation, but what it means is that it is made on the level of that individual local church. And so we see that played out here, of course. We've got the church at Jerusalem. Two issues, two needs that arose within the church, and a decision was made that uh, uh, really swayed or, or, or set the, the course for the future, uh, that these were important decisions that were being made. The first was the, the appointment of, uh, of Matthias to replace Judas. Uh, he was to serve as one of the apostles. The Bible says here, uh, it refers to his office as, as his bishopric. We know that a bishop in the Bible is a pastor. Uh, he's an overseer. He's a ruler. And so that's, that's what he was doing. They were appointing another uh, apostle to serve as one of the pastors of the church in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. Then we go over to chapter 6, and what I believe we see there is actually the appointment of the first deacons, those who were to assist the pastors uh, in the care of the church and making sure that the needs of the people were being met. In both cases we find that the outcome of the decision that was made uh, was positive. In other words, in, in uh, the first example, in Acts chapter 1, we find that decision was made, and immediately, Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost uh, take place. 3,000 people are saved and baptized and added to the church that, uh, that day. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that that followed immediately after that decision was made. Uh, the same was True also of what we read over in chapter 6 of the appointment of those seven men. The Bible says that the, the number of the disciples multitude, uh, or, or multiplied greatly uh, after that decision was made. And so we, we find that when a church is functioning according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in accordance with the scriptures, that God blesses and he blesses with fruit. And so it's important for us to recognize that decisions that are made within a church are actually very important. Uh, they have eternal consequences, and we'll see that in just a moment. But I want to just uh, take a few examples uh, from these two, uh, these two instances or, or, or meetings that we see in the Bible and, and kind of see uh, some similarities between these two meetings. The first thing I want to point out to you is that both of these business meetings were pastorally led. They were pastorally led, all right? So we find in chapter 1 that there was a, a small, uh, in comparison to what would become, a small church that had gathered there. There was the apostles, and then there were several others, about 110, 108, 110 other people. The, the number of the names together, the Bible says, were about 120. And they're going about serving and praying and continuing in supplication and prayer, and we find in chapter, verse number 15, in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and then verse 16 tells us what he said, and essentially here's what happens, he points to the scriptures, this is what the Bible says was going to happen, then he explains their situation, and then he points to the scriptures again. In other words, he shows the, the need, and he gives a biblical uh, response to that need, a, a proposal to the church. This is what we need to do according to the word of God. And then the church uh, ultimately rectified that decision or that uh, uh, proposal by the pastor. It's been said this way uh, before that, uh, that the, uh, 
the, the pastor or pastors, the leadership of the church, the pastors propose and the church disposes or, or rectifies. They, they make the decision. And so this wasn't just Peter getting up and making a unilateral decision, but it was Peter getting up and leading the church in making an, uh, an important decision. And I think that's important for us to recognize and understand. We see the same thing happen in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 2. The problem is presented in verse number, verse number 1, but verse 2 says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, and, and it goes on from there. So you see once again this example of a need arose... And the pastors of the church, or the apostles, called the church together, presented the need, and also a solution, or a resolution to that need, and, and gave with that qualifications, uh, that would be biblical qualifications, this is the expectation, and then the church was, was as a whole, rectified that decision, or, or executed that decision that was being made. This is the pattern that we see in Scripture. And I, I know that this is, again, some of this is very redundant to, uh, to you, and, and I, I don't want it in any way to come across as though you would disagree with this or don't know this, but I think it's important for us to understand that the Bible makes it very clear uh, that pastors have a responsibility within a church to lead. In 1 Timothy, in two different places in 1 Timothy, chapter 3 and chapter 5, the Bible refers to pastors or elders as rulers within the church. Uh, in, uh, in chapter 3, we find it in the qualifications of a pastor where it says uh, that, that he has to be one who rules well his own house. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And it makes that comparison. A man must know how to rule his house if he's going to take care of the church. And so you, you understand there that there is a connection between ruling and taking care of the church. And then also, in chapter 5, uh, we're told that the elders that rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor. And so both of those places tell us that pastors are rulers. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, uh, refers to elders or pastors as those that have the rule over you as those that must give an account. And so this is, a, this is an important thing uh, that, that the, uh, to, to understand that a pastor's job is to lead. A pastor's job is to, to set the course, to, 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 to be out front. I remember there was a, when I was pastoring in Texas, there was a large church uh, in our area uh, that uh, was pretty well known, and I, uh, I overheard... In the course of conversation, uh, one of the deacons of the church describing how they had met uh, as the deacons and decided that the pastor was going to preach on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and Sunday night they were going to have small groups. And this was a decision that was made by the deacons that they were then passing on to the pastor, this is what you're going to do. Now, I understand, again, that in the, in the world, in the business world, the secular world, a lot of times you have a large organization where there's a board that makes decisions, and that board then informs even the leadership, the president or CEO, this is what we've decided. Um, 
but the reality is this is not a biblical model. The biblical model is that the pastor or pastors that God has given to a church, they're to take the oversight. 1 Peter chapter 5, they're to take the oversight of the church. They are to rule within the church. They are to lead. They are to lead. But I also want to say this, and this is important for you to understand, to lead and to rule is not to dictate. And in both of these instances, we see that a pastor or pastors presented the need and a solution, and it was clear that they had biblical backing. They were exercising the authority that God had given to them, but the decision was rectified by the church. It wasn't just something that they did in opposition to the will of the church. This was something that they did in accordance with the will of the church. You see, here's, here's how I understand this biblically. I, as your pastor, have authority within this place to make decisions, to lead, to rule within the church. But that authority that I hold is not in me as a man. It is within an office that is really granted by you, the church. My authority here in this place extends no further than the authority that you've given to me. And that's given, we understand, by God, because God works through his church. And so this is, this is the, kind of the biblical uh, understanding. Churches are to be pastorally led, but not dictated to. I'm not a king. I do not... Uh, you know, rule here in, 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 in the sense that I have uh, some authority that you don't have. Uh, when it comes down to it, I have one vote just like you have. And so that's important for us to understand. Both of these meetings were pastorally led, but then they were also um, confirmed by the membership of the church. But secondly, let me say that these decisions that were made, they were not only pastorally led, but they were prayerfully decided. In both cases, they were prayerfully decided. I want to go back to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse number 14. We find that before a need even arose, there was prayer taking place within the church. Uh, verse number 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And it goes on and lists who these, these individuals were. I want you to think about this for a moment. On a day-to-day -day basis, as a church, the church at Jerusalem was known as one that gathered together and prayed together. I believe that's important. I believe that's important. They were praying together. Then Peter, no doubt led by the Holy Spirit, and his understanding of the Scriptures, presents the need. It says in verse number 23, And they appointed two... Tells us who those were in verse 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And this was their desire. Here was a need that was being presented by the lead pastor of the church. We got, uh, we've got a vacancy in an office that needs to be fulfilled. This is what the scripture says we should do. He sets the, uh, the, the, the tone for what, how we're going to handle this. But before a final decision is made, the church prays. And what is their prayer? Lord, you show us what you want. Because it's not my will or your will that matters. It's God's will. Because it's his church, right? 
And this is what they're, they're understanding. They're, they're careful to seek God's wisdom. And I believe this is important because, again, as I mentioned earlier, the decisions that we make as a church have eternal consequences. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and in Matthew 18 that whatsoever ye bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And he's talking about a church, church, churches making decisions. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That is in the same context as whatsoever ye bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So, so God tells us that the decisions that we make as a church, God sees them and God recognizes or, or authorizes those decisions. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. I believe it's important, folks. What we do here as a church, in accordance with the will of God, has an impact on eternity. It has an impact on eternal souls, the testimony of Christ, the kingdom of God. We understand that these are very important things. Therefore, whatever decision we make, whether it's a huge decision on whatever it is, a, a pastoral change, or a small decision on spending a little money on this or that, or, or, or taking care of something on a, on a building or whatever, what, whatever decision that we're making as a church, we need to understand this is serious. God cares about this because God cares about his churches. And so they were careful to pray and seek God's wisdom and direction. I think it's important for us to remember some very uh, common uh, verses of scripture in regard to this, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, of course, we're familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We, we focus on that, trust the Lord, but then it also says lean not unto your own understanding. It's not man's wisdom that makes, God's, you know, you know, makes decisions according to God's will. It, it's not my wisdom that's going to lead us into God's will. I have, we have to choose not to lean on our own understanding, but to seek him. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and then the promise is, is that he shall direct thy paths. God will direct us as we acknowledge him. And then, of course, James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So we understand that we need God's wisdom, and the way that we obtain God's wisdom is through prayer and the word of God. And so we need that. These, these decisions that were made were pastorally led, prayerfully decided, and then thirdly, they were peacefully accepted. They were peacefully accepted. I want you to notice these words in verse number, uh, chapter 1, verse number 26. It says here, And they gave forth their lots. And the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This concept of giving forth lots, maybe if you just read that, you think, well, they, they cast lots. But that's actually not what that says. There's a difference between casting something and giving it forth. How, how many of you have ever asked your child, here, hand that to me, and they threw it at you? You ever had that happen? We don't let that happen in our house. It's happened. I'm not saying it hasn't. But we say, no, 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 I said hand it to me. I didn't say throw it to me, right? There's a difference between giving forth and casting. The idea of casting lots was kind of let it fall where it may. Lord, just lead in this. And there were times in the Bible that that was done, casting lots. But the idea of giving forth a lot actually has to do with casting a vote. 
And so when it says that they gave forth their lots, as far as I can tell, this is a, a description saying they voted between these two men. Now, most of the time, when there is a vote between two individuals, not a yes or no vote, but a vote between two people, you're not going to get 100% one way. Would you agree with me on that? Especially if those who are being elected have the opportunity to vote. And so... I heard a missionary one time talk about he was with a mission board and he was always trying to get elected to, the, to be a representative or something for the board. And he said for several conventions, he only got one vote. And he said, that tells you what, the way my wife voted. Because <laughs> he said, I voted for me. <laughs> I only got one vote. But here's the thing. Most votes between two individuals are not going to be 100% one way or the other. You know what that means? That means someone's not going to get their way or what they felt was the right decision. You know, that can, be a hard, that can be a hard thing to accept sometimes. Especially if it's something that you've prayed about and you felt led to vote a certain way and then the rest of the church voted a different way from you and then you're kind of left with this thing. Well, did I misunderstand God or was everyone else wrong? Could I tell you, it may not be either of those things. It could be that God would lead you to vote in a way that would not be consistent with the way the rest of the church voted, but that's okay because whatever God wants is what God wants. It's His church, it's, and what happens is up to the Lord, not up to us. And I want, well, here's what I want to show you in verse number 1 of chapter 2. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We don't get the idea here that there were some people sitting on the sidelines disgruntled because their candidate didn't get elected. And we say it this way oftentimes in church uh, statements of faith. The will of the church is final. And that's what we mean by that. As, as members of the church, we, we have the opportunity to voice our opinion, to cast votes on certain issues, but ultimately we all need to be resigned to the fact whatever God leads our church to do, I'm going to be on board with. I don't, it doesn't have to be my way or the highway. It's God's way. And that may, that may mean at times that decisions are made that I wouldn't necessarily be in favor of, but if that's what God has led the rest of the church to vote in favor of, then that's what we're going to do. And we're all going to continue together in unity, even if we maybe disagreed with the way that things should have been done. Chapter 6, I want to show you this again. Chapter number 6, verse number 5, it says in the saying, please the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. Seven men appointed by how many people? Well, at this point, the church is many thousands of people. 
Now, just read between the lines with me here. Do you really believe that every member of the church at Jerusalem, in the numbering in the thousands, that every one of them wrote down on a ballot these seven names and none else? Listen, I've been a pastor long enough to know that didn't happen. <laughs> what I'm getting at here is this. The decision was made by the majority. But when the decision was made by the majority, the rest of the church joyfully and peacefully went forward in unity. And so I just want to say that, you know, as we conduct business. Now tonight, I don't believe we're voting on anything that's real uh, major or controversial or anything of that nature, but I just want to kind of lay that as a foundation to say whatever God leads us as a church to do, let's determine in our hearts at the outset, we're going to be on board and we're going to go together, go forward together in unity because the will of the church is final and often God leads through his church. Amen? And so let's just consider that 